Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your co-hosts. You can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Smash underscore ASD. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as we get a word from our sponsor. Wow, man. This is the first... All Sports Discussion ACC Podcast of the Year. And let me tell you, folks, this podcast is sponsored by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. You can go to uh, Blacksburg. uh, You can go to the, uh, the Main Street Pharmacy at 301 South Main Street, Suite 107. That's Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. You can follow Main Street Pharmacy on Twitter at at... Main Street Farm. That's at M-A-I-N-S-T-R-E-E-T-P-H-A-R-M. And again, welcome back to This Week in the ACC, the podcast of AllSportsDiscussion.com. This is the longest-running independent ACC podcast in the country. And, man, we are ready tonight to talk ACC football. This is our first ACC football preview of the year. You can tell I'm a little bit excited and starting us out tonight with our team previews is Ben Bird from Bull City Coordinators. And this is a Duke football blog. There are really good Duke football bloggers out there. And I think I have found the best one on the internet. So we are pleased to have Ben Bird with us tonight. He came highly recommended from the Duke football fan community and basically the Duke fans in general. And you can follow, find him, I should say. On uh, at uh, BullCityCoordinators.com. That's the web. That's the website for their for the for the blog there, and you can fo- and you can follow Ben on Twitter at at DukeFBCoverage on Twitter. Again, that's at DukeFBCoverage. Ben, it's been a while, and we are happy to have you back on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. Before we start, we just want to have you just tell us a bit about yourself, Ben, and plug anything that you want to plug that you're doing out there now. The floor is yours, Ben. Thanks for having me back on, guys. I appreciate it. I enjoyed doing it last year, and I look forward to having you guys on to talk about Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, respectively, and what we can expect from them this coming season. As you've mentioned, uh, we've got a website, BullCityCoordinators.com, where we follow Duke football, and we also have a creatively named football-themed podcast called Duke Football Coverage. It is wherever you get your podcast. You can find us pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you like old time mountain music, uh, listen to our bonus jam sessions that we post from time to time. Me and my buddy Tim get together, play some music while we're watching games, post it up there. We may actually have a treat and start doing a three-piece band this year. So that's what we've got going on right now. Awesome. Awesome. So man, we're going to get right to it because Duke was one of the teams that made a coaching change in the offseason for their football program. So we just want to get your brief thoughts on Mike Elko and, you know, what you think of the hire and what, you know, what kind of offense, offensive scheme we're going to see for Duke in the ACC, you know, an ACC play, non-conference play, you know, whatever offensive scheme that Duke plans to run this, this year and what type of defensive scheme that 
Duke will run. And we're kind of pra- phrasing this as sort of a uh, this is sort of an educational thing for Jeff and I because I, I I myself don't know much about Mike Elko, and I think there's probably a lot of ACC fans that are in the same boat. The floor is yours, friend. Well, as far as what to expect from Mike Elko, let me first start by saying I'm a big fan of the hire. I think it was a good hire. I think it was the right hire. I think that he is doing all the right things and his staff is doing all the right things. If you watch him and follow the Duke football account on social media, there's certainly a lot to like. He's also been ingratiated himself to the folks at Cameron by showing up there, by making himself a part of the community and depending on how long you want this interview to go, we can talk about how I think the Duke athletic department for a long, long time from the sixties up until really coach Cutcliffe for the most part kind of ignored the football program, but it looks like Elko is doing all the right things. I like the idea of him moving the student section behind the opposing team's bench. uh, But all that being said, I just hope the students show up and we don't see a bunch of empty seats there. That's been a point of contention for a lot of fans. A lot of people who show up is a lot of fans show up dressed as empty seats. So let's hope that doesn't happen this year and the students get out and support the team. Now, as far as offense, you are not going to see the same playbook that Duke has had since 2013. People who follow my site know that that has been a big gripe, and people who listen to the podcast know that a lot of the players have come on and talked, former players have come on and talked about the lack of creativity and the outright predictability and stagnation of the offense. I think that we're going to see the very good running the ball, uh, a, a very good running attack, excuse me. Kevin Johns, the offensive coordinator, has a good track record. He's been at Indiana, he's been at Memphis, and those of you Duke fans who remember, the pinstripe bowl where a backup running back for Indiana had a really, really good game. That was part of Kevin John's work. We also have a pretty good offensive line, which I think we can talk a little bit more about later, but I think there's going to be more balance. I think the quarterback's going to run a lot more than we've seen the last few seasons. You're talking about the defense. I I think it's going to be the same base defense as far as a four, two, five. That is what Elko generally runs. But I think that schematically, it's going to be different. I think it's going to be a very very fundamentally sound defense. I think it's going to be a uh, nuts and bolts focused, technique focused defense with the coaching staff change and everybody wanting to prove themselves. How it's going to look, I don't know. There is a depth issue for those of you who have been following the transfer portal. You've seen a lot of Duke players go out, not a lot come back in. We can talk a lot more about that later on. What we're going to see from them defensively, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a hard-nosed, aggressive football team that gets after it. But are they going to have the depth to compete? I don't know. Fair statement, fair statement, man. Jeff, you're up, man. All right, thanks, Matthew. All right, Ben, what are some of the major strengths coming back next year for Duke football? Well, if you are a Duke football fan, I think you are required by law to hate the offensive line and complain about it, which is really a holdover from the Daniel Jones era. But – 
I think that the offensive line actually the last two years, even though they didn't keep the offensive line coach, that unit had been really well coached, and that was not the weakness last year. As you saw, the yardage that Durant put up and the holes that they were able to create until the offense just became too predictable and didn't adapt. I think that that unit's going to be good, and they've added a couple of recruits for uh, through the portal for depth. I think that should help. We also have on defense, Dwayne Carter, Jamie on Franklin. Those guys are playmakers. Those guys are difference makers. I'm hoping that Franklin in particular will get more playing time. And I think those two guys could be a strength if we see that. Now, as far as someone else who might be able to help out, uh, Rocky Shelton's coming back. You guys may or may not remember Rocky Shelton, but he was a very good linebacker at Duke. And then, uh, unfortunately, he um, missed all of last season. The reasons for that never really came out. We don't really know what it's about, but I don't think it was anything in particular, such as uh, him being you know, a bad kid or getting into problems or anything like that. We don't really know what it what that is. But the as the game uh, excuse me, as the season went on, the linebackers struggled a little bit, and I think him coming back in will will really, really help. And it will really give uh, them a chance to sign uh, to shine that linebacker unit. But again, I do think that there's going to be some depth issues that will crop up during the season. So if you're looking at strengths, that's where I'm looking at. I'm looking at the offensive line. I'm looking at those players on the defensive line and Rocky Shelton coming back. All right, let's uh, go on the flip side, uh, Ben. What are some of the major weaknesses for the Blue Devils going into the season? In other words, what do you think Duke will be working on before the first game? What are the questions that you think have to be resolved? Well, other than what I outlined, I think pretty much everything. I think we have to be really honest about that. And let's start at the at one of the main issues, people who listen to the podcast, who've listened to a lot of the older players talk about the lack of depth, that's going to be a big issue this year. And you guys know this, you follow the ACC very closely. The teams with the most depth can be the most successful throughout the season. Duke has lost a lot of key players to the transfer portal. I think the portal's great, and I'm not criticizing it, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. But what I am saying is that it's going to be a problem for the Blue Devils this year because too much has gone out and not enough has come back in. Duke lost Gunnar Holmberg, Jake Bobo, Lummy Young, Gary Smith, Jeremiah Lewis, Jalen Alexander. And how you deal with that many key losses, I don't know. Duke, again, always thin at depth, and that's going to be very difficult. Now, who's the quarterback going to be? Let's go back through. Duke has had a new quarterback, I think, every year since 2018. Daniel Jones was the quarterback in 2018. Then it was Quentin Harris. Then it was Chase Bryce. Last year it was Gunnar Holmberg. We're going to see another one. Uh, There's Leonard Riley and Jordan Moore. They're going to be competing for the starting job. This is just me completely speculating, and I have no inside information to back this up, but I would not be surprised if Jordan Moore wins that spot. And the reason that I say that is just seeing him on the field, seeing him play, he's got a little bit 
of a swagger about him. He's got a little bit of confidence about him. Uh, you know, you guys, I think, may have seen him come in late against Virginia Tech last year, and he provided a little bit of spark. Now, is he going to be able to take the ball and run with it more than just literally because he is a good running quarterback? We'll see. And I'm not saying anything negative about Leonard, but uh, I think that Moore kind of has this this swagger about him that could maybe get him the, the starting job. And I can't remember if I misspoke. I meant to say Riley Leonard. I may have said Leonard Riley. If I did, I apologize. But I think both are good guys. There's a little bit of depth there. And we'll have to see what happens between Jordan Moore and Riley Leonard. Now, I'm not done because, of course, you all remember Mateo Durant. Guess who's not playing running back for the Blue Devils this year? Mateo Durant. That said, Duke has had depth at running back going back to the Cutcliffe years. They used to have, have like a four-headed attack uh, there uh, during the four four consecutive bowl year run, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Jordan Waters come in and play really well at running back for Duke this year. We'll have to see. Now, again, I'm still going, and I apologize for that. And the reason that I'm doing that is there's a lot to talk about when you have staff turnover. I think the receiving core is really going to have to step it up collectively. I'd like to see guys like Eli Pankel, uh, who may or may not be coming on uh, the Duke Football Coverage podcast soon. We'll have to wait and see. We're in talks, hoping we can set that up, as well as some of the tight ends step up and get the ball thrown to them more to take the pressure off Jalen Calhoun. And when I'm saying step up and take the pressure off somebody else, I am not criticizing any of those players. What I am saying is I don't think the prior offensive staff did a good enough job getting the ball to the people that the ball needed to get to. And we can go back to Noah Gray's time at Duke and his end at Duke when he was criminally underutilized, a very good tight end who was, I think, a fifth-round draft pick playing for the Kansas City Chiefs now. He almost disappeared uh, towards the end of his final season in Durham, and that is really hard to understand, a guy who's that talented. I don't think we're going to have that problem now, but we're going to have to see the staff find ways to get guys like Harding, like Pankle and our tight ends, the ball and to develop a consistent number one and number two threat. Because when you lose a guy like, uh, when you lose a guy like Jake Bobo, it's, it's going to be very hard to replace. That's going to be very, very critical for the blue devils offensively this coming season. All right, Ben, who are some of the new recruits or players uh, in the transfer portal that have impressed you, uh, that impressed you the most. Uh, we know that Duke usually redshirts a lot of players. Uh, however, are there any that you think uh, that will get some major playing time uh, right away? Unclear. Duke did bring in a long snapper, so expect him to play through the transfer portal. I'm not really sure what they're going to do with the guys they brought in. Most of the players that they had recruited under Cutcliffe before they mutually agreed to part ways or consciously uncouple or whatever the term you want to use is. Uh, they had all been recruited by Cutcliffe. So I would imagine they were the same kind of, and again, this isn't being critical. Cutcliffe had a developmental program and he recruited guys that he brought up through the system. 
So I wouldn't necessarily expect those guys to step in right away and make a huge impact, but they've had some guys they've been red shirting for a while and hopefully they'll, for the last couple of years, slowly working them in. Hopefully we'll see them get a chance to play more, but you know, I kind of joked around with you guys before I, I came on here and I said, the answer to most of my questions is really going to be, I don't know, but I'll be interested to see. <laughs> and this is going to be one of those situations is who steps up and how, because we all know that coaching change is really an opportunity to wipe the slate clean. And if you'd followed, if you all have followed my uh, blog, the last couple of years, my site, one of the things that I've started doing recently is doing trends for game predictions and doing five things kind of to expect five things I like five things I didn't like. And I don't have a lot of game tape or footage about really what these guys are going to do offensively and defensively. So the first, I think four weeks of the season, you know, we're going to be sitting there watching together to try to figure out, what can we expect? What are we going to see? Who's going to step up? And you can kind of sit there maybe and say, well, gosh, you know, we don't know. Why don't we know? Can't we get more predictions? I think it's going to be an exciting moment and we should all enjoy it. I mean, this is really something new for fans. And when I say something new, I mean, it's it's new for the first time since uh, 2008, when Cutcliffe came in at the very end of 2007. So this should be this should be pretty pretty exciting. I'm really really looking forward to it. And while I can't give you any specific names of you know guys from the portal or recent recruits who may just jump in and make a big play, I am I'm really really excited to see what these what these folks can do. All right, uh, do you uh, Ben? Do you think Duke will be better than last year? And why or why not? And then we're going to play what we call win game, lose game, where we go through uh, the Duke schedule really quick and, and get your, you know, uh, quick thought on whether that game is a win or a loss. Short answer, yes. Duke will be better than last year. And I remember one of the phrases that a legendary former law partner of mine used. Uh, he could turn a phrase the way that nobody else could, but he once said to somebody, congratulations on stepping over a very low bar when they got through a, a hearing on a, uh, <laughs> a motion to dismiss. But anyway, I, I don't mean that to knock any of you guys who are on the team. You guys know how much I pull for you. You guys know how much time I devote to this. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not a credentialed member of the media. I don't have to do this. I do it because this is a team that I have a lot invested in and I want to see you win. But last year was not a very good team. They got blown out a lot. We don't need to rehash it. And I think everybody is committed to doing a whole, whole lot better. We can talk a little bit, a little bit more about that later on with some of your questions. I think this staff is good. I think they'll have them ready to compete. They're going to have them disciplined. They're going to have them smart. They're going to have them be uh, aggressive yet intelligent in their aggression, not reckless, if that makes sense, if you understand what I'm saying. Kind of a fortune favors the bold type of situation, but not just complete and utter recklessness. That said, 
it would not surprise me if we see, throwback to the older fans here, a lot of what we saw during the end of the Goldsmith era when he really bottomed out after his hot start. But each year his teams got better and they lost a lot of close games. And they did that by being competitive through two and a half to three quarters. And then kind of things would go the other way towards the end and the game would get away from them. It would not surprise me if we see that this season. And that's okay. That's not a knock on what these guys are doing. It's just saying it's going to take time to get back to the top uh, or get to the top and get back to respectability and a competitive balance. Let's take a look at that Duke schedule now, Ben. Uh, Right out of the gate, um, Friday, September 2nd, you're going to be hosting the Temple Owls. Well, I'm not sure that there's you can really say anything this season is, is ever going to be a guaranteed win, regardless of who you play, just because there's so much unknown. And I believe in these guys. I would not be surprised to see that Temple game be very competitive and for it to be a close game. But I'm going to take Duke in that one. All right. Uh, then after that, you go on the road. And you play at Northwestern. I'm going to say the Wildcats win that game. Fitzgerald's a very good coach, and he added a Blue Devil, I believe, from the secondary through the portal this year. I just, you know, last last season, those who remember it, that was a game that almost got away from the Blue Devils, and that was not a very good Northwestern team. So I, I'm going to take Fitzgerald in that one. I'm going to take I'm going to take Northwestern. Okay. Uh, after that, you come back and host the uh, North Carolina A and T Aggies. I'm going to take the Blue Devils in that one. All right. Uh, then uh, after uh, North Carolina A and T. You go on the road and you play at Kansas. Call me crazy, and I'd like to hear from you guys on this one, but I actually think Kansas is going to win that game. Hey, we've seen Kansas come up and, uh, you know, surprise a couple teams here and there uh, over the last few years. So, um, you know, they, they, they might be, you know, typically one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country, but... Um, you know, we, we, we've seen them surprise a couple people, at least one, once or twice a year. They kind of come up with a performance that's just kind of out of the blue. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's definitely out they of the They hired question. the right guy from Buffalo from Buffalo as their, co- as their coach. I mean, they got that big one last year versus, te- versus Texas. Yeah, they looked a lot better as the season went on, and Duke didn't. And so to stick with my – trends prediction you've got to feel as if kansas is on the way up where duke is still kind of finding its way so through what four weeks of the season i got them at 500 yep well we got you at 500 right now and then um you know after that kansas game you get into acc play by hosting the virginia cavaliers I can't remember. Did UVA's quarterback, is Armstrong coming back for another year? Uh, yeah, I believe he's back. He, he is coming back, indeed. Ugh, I Gosh, darn it. Um, 
with that in mind, I'm going to have to begrudgingly take the Cavaliers. But I will say it would not surprise me if Duke pulls that one out and wins. But I will take the Cavaliers in that one. Then after um, the Virginia game, you go on the road and play at what is likely to be one of Jeff Collins' last games as Georgia Tech head coach. You go on the road and you play at Georgia Tech. I, I hear the love for the current <laughs> Georgia Tech staff coming out. I am, I'm going to take the Blue Devils to bounce back after blowing uh, a game against them last year. I All think right. Duke's going to win. For, for Georgia Tech fans, it can only be like in an exciting season because one, either they'll be a lot better than anyone expects or Jeff Collins will be fired. So they really can't lose this year. <laughs> Um, after the Georgia Tech game, uh, you go and you play arch rival uh, North Carolina. I am going to pick against the grain and take the Blue Devils in that one. All right, I hear you. Um, then after that, you go on the road and you play at Miami. And Miami is a very intriguing team this year because of Van Dyke and quarterback Crystal Ball now and he's, he seems to be putting together a fantastic staff. That's true. Let me just say though, Crystal Ball is inheriting a very good team. You go back and look at last season at Miami's uh, Miami's team last season and look at how many close games they lost. And you have to wonder if it made sense to fire Manny Diaz. Now, people might think I'm crazy, but those are things that I actually consider important to look at when you're making a coaching change is whether the program is trending up or down. And part of what you have to look at are the number of close losses. And they had a number of, uh, of close losses. They lost by three to North Carolina. They lost by three to Florida state. And if those, and they lost by two, excuse me, to Virginia, if those three games go differently, that Miami team is 10 and two. So this is a long way of me saying as far as whatever Cristobal is doing, I think he better have a really good year right out of the gate because I don't think he's going to have a lot of excuses to make. And also that avoids me having to say that I think Miami's going to beat Duke in that game. Okay, after that um, game with Miami, uh, Duke gets a much-needed uh, bye week on October 29th. Uh, they come back for a Friday night game against Boston College. I think that's going to be a really interesting game. I think that's going to be a really good game because I think we've all seen that Boston College has been playing pretty well. They've been pretty consistent. And that's a hard place to win at and win consistently. But they're at 6-6. Six and six. I know they were 2-6 and six in conference last year, which isn't ideal. But, you know, that's a pretty good season for Boston College. So it wouldn't surprise me if that game is really, really competitive. Right now, I'd have to give the edge to Boston College just because they've been around a while longer. And they beat 
they've beaten the Blue Devils, I think, the last time they played, which was back in 2020. So I'm going to have to go with Boston College. After that um, Boston College game, you come back and you host the Virginia Tech Hokies. All right, Matthew, what do I need to know about Virginia Tech? Sorry, I was on mute. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you something. We have a new coach, right? <laughs> exactly. We have a new coach. We have. We did hire, and I was thrilled about this, Ben. We have the Wisconsin's offensive line coach at Virginia Tech. Well, I was so happy that he, I mean, that is probably the best assistant hire coach anybody could possibly make. In the ACC, you know, because he has he has some uh, he has just some of the greatest uh, offensive linemen that come out come out come out of Wisconsin, and the cupboard wasn't bare. You know what I mean? In terms of uh, t- wasn't bare in terms of offensive linemen. I mean, we have some, we have a couple guys that I think are are actually going to play in the NFL ne- in the NFL next year, but the depth beyond that. Probably isn't that isn't that great, and you're you're going to see, you know, for the most part, you're going to see a lot of a lot of starters come back on def- on defense, but you're going to see some de- depth issues there. But you know, you're going to see an aggressive attacking defense, kind of like what you saw under Bud under Bud Bud Foster. They really believe in using linebackers to run all over the place. The corner play is going to be as good as it was before. You're going to, you know, in, in prior years, like I'm sure Shamari Connor, for example, will be drafted and go to the, you know, will be drafted and go to the NFL. So you're going to see, you know, you're going to see, you're going to see a pro style offense. You're so my, you know, my point is, I think you're probably going to see, you're not going to see, you know, you know, a lot of quarterback, run, a lot of quarterback runs or you know, you're going to see a traditional pro style offense. I mean, I, most of us were not happy. I know I'm going on a lot here, a lot here, guys. I'm sorry, but most of us were not happy with the four play playbook that uh, that Justin Fuente had. <laughs> Justin Fuente had, you know, I, I got to where the point where I was sitting with Jeff, and I'm like, Jeff, which one? Which one is it going to be? The first or second one where we see a jet sweep? I don't think you're going to see that. See, see that with Virginia Tech. So I, I think you're going to be a see a, a much harder nosed football team that probably you know similar to duke because of the coaching change may not necessarily have the depth at all of the positions but probably actually probably a better player at quarterback though so there you go that's my that's my initial take i'm gonna take duke in that one i think it's gonna be a real close game but i think duke's gonna get the edge although I will qualify that by saying I, I do think that that's a game that could easily go either way, but I'm going to take the Blue Devils. All right, after that uh, game, Ben, you go on the road and you play at Pitt. And I, I think, you know, they talk about the uh, picket you know, the quarterback not being there at Pitt this upcoming year, but they return a lot off of that ACC championship team. 
They do, but they did lose their offensive coordinator, which I think is a big loss. And I, I just – I have got to believe Duke is due to beat Pitt. I don't remember the last time Duke beat Pitt, but it seems like it's been forever and a day ago. So I, I think the football gods are going to smile down upon us and just let this one happen. And, 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 and we'll make it so that Duke beats the Panthers finally. I like to hear the optimism, Ben. I'm, I'm pretty, imp- I'm pretty impressed because I don't really feel the same way about me and Virginia Tech playing Pitt this year. They, they do, they got a lot of folks, folks coming back. But you know what? Optimism is part of these ACC football pre- previews. So shout out to you, man. I, I don't know if I'd call it optimism. I would just kind of refer to it as if a quarter keeps landing heads enough, eventually it's due to land on tails. So I think that this might be that situation. <laughs> well done. All right. And now you, now you finish the season with Wake Forest. Um, in Durham, North Carolina, Wake Forest coming off a top 15, 11 win season. Wake Forest. Okay, that was a quick answer on that one. <laughs> um, I can explain right, yeah. why, but I mean, yeah, I think we ahead. all know the. I think we all know the reasons why. I mean, I think Wake is just ahead right now. Yeah, Dave Clausen's. You know, he's definitely built himself up. Quite, quite a program in Winston-Salem. And I mean, I, I think you, I don't think anyone would disagree. That's It's one of the three or four best programs in the ACC right now. I mean, that's a, they were a very good football team last year. I, I agree. And I think that Duke can get there, but it took Wake some time to get there. And so I think you have to expect the same thing for the Blue Devils. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for Wake Forest, I mean, we saw Duke, you know, get there for a little while. I mean, I think Duke kind of set the blueprint for programs like Wake Forest. You know, you, you build up, you, you red shirt, you, you get a little bit older. I mean, through, through that, uh, three year span from, uh, 2013, I think 14, 15 Duke averaged nine wins a year and, and, and pretty much was a perennial bowl team. You know, until the last couple of years through 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 Cutcliffe. So I, I think you know, Duke kind of put that out there, and then and now Wake Forest is is that team that you know is is not going to be able to put together like top fifteen recruiting classes, but just has to kind of build up, um, you know, through through the red shirt process and getting older and, and developing players. And I mean, if if Wake Forest can win eleven games and Duke can have a run of averaging nine wins a year. Uh, there's not a lot of excuses for, for teams to be terrible for, for extended periods of time, in my opinion. I agree with that 100%. I just think that the the key issue for the Blue Devils is patience from the fan base, yep. buy-in from the players, and an administration that's actually committed to football and demands accountability. Yeah, and, th- and that that kind of leads into our next question here. You know, give us the pulse of the Duke football program. What are the Duke bloggers and fans thinking right now on the status of the program? 
Well, most Duke people are talking about the end of the basketball season right now, but when it comes to the football program, I think everybody's very optimistic. Everybody's hopeful. I think everybody is excited about this new opportunity. I, you know, and I, I just want to say maybe this is the old old man in me. All the social media stuff is great. And as far as I understand, that's how you have to appeal to a lot of recruits, but I'm just too old to care about the uniform reveals and all that stuff. I just want to see this team win some games and be competitive again. So I think that the general mindset is optimistic, hopeful, and excited. I think it's going to take Coach Elko a little bit of time to get things going, but I think that he will if we're patient with him, if we buy into him. And I do, from everything that I understand, I do want to say that the the team itself seems really bought, like they've bought in. They want to win. Nobody goes to play at this level to not be competitive. Nobody's going there to lose, and they want to win. And I think that that they feel like they can do something special. Maybe it's not this year, although they're certainly going to feel like they can do it this year. This is just me talking now. Maybe not this year, but maybe in – two years, three, but next year will be tough because Clemson and Notre Dame come to town. But I think these guys, given enough time, I think they can do something special, and I'm excited and looking forward to it. All right, Matt. Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple questions in the podcast. First of all, praise to you, Ben, because Jeff and I were kind of talking about this we now know that you are the absolute go-to guy for Duke football on anything because there's apparently nobody who knows more about Duke football on the internet than you. So praise to you. Well, that that's years of watching really bad football finally paying off, I guess. Praise to you. Okay, so we could have an entirely separate podcast on this, and maybe we will. But Coach K, I mean, he has meant – so much to Duke basketball. He was the coach. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 42 years. I mean, just an amazing legacy. And then you got John Shire t- taking the seat next year, man. So give us your th- give us your, just your brief thoughts on Coach K and then the John Shire. Well, it, you know, it's never fun to lose. But look, I mean, this was a successful season. I don't care. I mean, I don't care how you look at it. They lost a competitive game to a team that's been hot. And I'm sorry, when you disrespect an opponent the way that they wanted to disrespect them by having the end of the season final home game crowning achievement, that's going to upset the other team and that's going to stick with them. And I think we saw that happen at the last home game at Cameron. And then it came back again in the national semifinal. But look, if you had told any Duke player at the start or any Duke fan at the start of the season, you're going to win the ACC regular season. You're going to play in the conference championship game and you're going to win a regional final, right? Like, which is what they did. And you're going to get in the final four. Everybody would say that's a great year. And that's what this was. And what happened last night was what we've seen throughout for the most part of the one and done era they run into an older team and they lose. And that's what happens when you go with a lot of young guys. Okay. But look, it's okay. This was a great season. I don't care what anybody says. This team had not been, this program had been out of the tournament for two years one year because it was canceled. And then the other year, because of 
COVID after effects and all the games that Duke kept having to cancel. This is a great season. And I think that frankly, there should be some, there should have been an ACC coach of the year honor go to coach K that didn't. And we can talk about whether that was the right one or not. It's too late to do anything about it now. But if you look at where the team was last season and where they got to this year, that's a coach of the year in every level. And I think because of the standard he set, he got overlooked. And I think that's a travesty in this season season. He certainly was in the discussion for national and conference coach of the year, but whatever. As far as his legacy, I mean, in many ways, Coach K is Duke basketball. His name's on the court. It's going to be there for a long time. We're going to miss him greatly. But, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. John Shire's coming in. The program has a lot of good recruits coming in, and I think it's in a position to do very, very well next year. The only thing that I would suggest, and I'm sure John Shire really cares about my opinion, right? Because, you know, why wouldn't he? This is sarcasm. It may not come through. But it came through. It's funny. (laughs) (laughs) My my point is it's, it's hard to win national titles when you get three to four top level freshmen a year. Okay. And you can go back through all the seasons where they were close, but they couldn't just get over the edge. So maybe get one or two and not three or four. And again, these guys are super talented and they're great, but I think the 2015 is more of an exception. 2015 national championship season is much more of an exception to how you win national titles if you and get to final fours in the modern era of college basketball, maybe I'm wrong about it. And, you know, if we don't change it, that's fine. I don't, I'll still be a fan. I'll still enjoy it. I'll, I'll love the wins. Uh, but I'll, I'll also understand that there is a ceiling that you're going to hit for the most part. So I liked when Shire came in this year, we saw him against Wake Forest. He made a lot of good adjustments. I, I think that he's going to do very well. I had Robert Bricky on uh, last year, and he talked a little bit about Shire, was optimistic about him. I'm going to try to reach back out to Bricky again for you older fans who remember him and see if he can come back on, give us the pulse of the program. But I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see something new, but I think we're all going to have to say that Coach K is in any – buddy's conversation for the greatest of all time he has a legacy that you'll never be able to achieve and and you know coach shire just be coach shire there's only one coach k don't try to be coach k don't try to do what coach k would do just try to do what you would do because you're not coach k and you're never going to be coach k nobody will be coach k there's only one of them so just find your own path do things your own way and and have fun out there because we're all going to be rooting for you Outstanding, outstanding. So here we go. It's open microphone time, Ben. The floor is yours. What do you got for us? There's a couple of things that I want to talk about here. Uh, One, again, thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for having me come on. I I really appreciate it. 
uh, this is a fun opportunity to talk about something that I enjoy talking about. But for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know what me and my family uh, have been going through in regard to my daughter this uh, last week. It's been a really, really long, long week for us. And you'll get to hear a lot more about what all happened over, uh, when an interview that I did for a They Might Be Giants podcast called This Might Be a Podcast. It's a song by song podcast about one of my favorite bands. Uh, I talk about what she went through with her two abdominal surgeries she had. And what I want to say first is everybody who reached out to me, everybody who reached out to my wife, everybody who helped out with our family and has continued to help out with our family during this very stressful time. I can't tell you enough or as many, I can't repeat it enough, but it, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and it, it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to my family. And I do want to say my daughter is doing a lot better. She's getting stronger every day. It's just great to see her being more like herself. But one thing that I've noticed through this is, and Matthew, you know, you, you talk about mental health some on your Twitter account. You know, I see you out there tweeting to people, hey, I hope you're doing well. Just tweeting to people, hope, hoping that they'll see it, right? Um there's two things to recovering from surgery and th from medical procedures. One is the physical part. But one thing that I've noticed kind of subtly is there's a kind of a mental aspect. There's an emotional aspect to it. And my wife and I have observed that with our daughter. She's doing great and we're not saying anything's wrong with her, but there's just been, you know, subtle little things that we've noticed. And for those of you who have kids who go through similar things, keep an eye on it. And if you notice something that's concerning, try to get them whatever help that, that, that they need. And kids are resilient. My daughter's very young and uh, we're hoping she fully recovers from this, but it's just something I want to say to parents out there who have kids who may be going through something similar to what my family's just gone through and what my daughter's gone through. Please keep an eye out for that. And again, if you want to get the whole story, go to this might be a podcast in a couple of weeks um, the episode will come out and i talk about that and i'm going to try to talk about it a little bit more on my podcast as we do it this season so again thanks for having me on and again everybody who's helped my family out in this time i really appreciate it very good words ben very good words ben jeff you're up buddy and uh, Ben, I just I just uh, want to add to that. You know, I'm glad to hear uh, that your your daughter is doing better, and you know, continue will continue to pray that for for a full recovery. Uh, you know, mentally and physically on on that. And I echo what um, Jeff said. Um, yeah, we we, we got to look back a little bit at the the NCAA tournament from a, from an ACC perspective. And I know Matthew's going to have a few more thoughts on this, but you know, th this kind of felt like a, a resurgence for the, for the ACC. You don't win 14 games in the tournament with, with five teams and, you know, not have it matter. Uh, th this is going to reverberate with recruits. Um, you saw what, what Hubert Davis did at North Carolina, they're playing, uh, sorry, Ben, you know, they're, they're playing for the national championship uh, tomorrow. He's been tremendous over the last uh, quarter uh, of the year since that, 
since that pit loss. I mean, North Carolina can win the national championship tomorrow. They're playing that well. Um, when earlier in the year, I, I felt like when Duke lost, they, they just weren't, weren't tough. And that, that's not what happened yesterday. Uh, a couple missed free throws down the stretch were the difference in the game. That, that was not a game where, where, where Duke faded late in that game. And that all during this tournament, I saw him in Greenville uh, against Michigan State, how well they played in the final five minutes late in the game against Texas Tech. Um, you know, getting pushed a little bit by Arkansas and then taking care of business there. You know, North Carolina just hit a few more shots, bigger shot, hit hit shots down the stretch. Caleb Love with that, with that three, and they're playing at a level where they can win a national championship. Um, you know, I know Kansas is is red hot. They they looked spectacular against Miami in the second half. Uh, they they looked great against Villanova yesterday. But you know, North Carolina has a front line that neither of those teams could match, and. You know, Villanova without Justin Moore, um, you know, they were already undersized against Kansas. And then, you know, without arguably the best defender, uh, you know, on their team, you know, it, it just was too much to overcome against Kansas. But, you know, they're not going to have the benefit. The Jayhawks aren't going to have the benefit of being able to overwhelm uh, North Carolina from a size standpoint. So I'm expecting a, a fantastic uh, national championship game. You know, you had the run for the ACC with Duke and North Carolina. Miami had a tremendous had a tremendous tournament. Um, Notre Dame won a couple games, and you know, even though Virginia Tech didn't win a game, I mean, that was your ACC champion right there. So, I, I think when we as we go into next year in the ACC, you're, you're going to see a, a resurgence of the ACC being, you know, the premier basketball conference in the country and and they did a lot to kind of restore their their reputation with the with this tournament i think north carolina is going to be north carolina going going forward i mean you don't get with a program like that they're going to be able to still sell recruits on hey come to north carolina you can go to final fours um hubert davis like i said tremendous during the course of the tournament uh, we talked a little bit about Ben mentioning John Shire. I mean, they have a, arguably the number one recruiting class in the country coming in. Duke is going to be right there with a chance to win the national title again next year. You know Tony Bennett uh, is going to get Virginia back. Miami has a good class coming in. Florida State, um, I might have mentioned it last week. You know, they, they, they probably were one of the three best teams in the ACC when they were healthy. Um, so I, I think, and, and Virginia Tech, I, I got to mention them real quick. I know Matthew's going to say a lot more about them. I mean, they're on solid footing with Mike Young. I, I mean, I see five, maybe six ranked teams in the ACC next year. Um, so if this was a down year for the ACC, I mean, watch out, because I think they're fixing to get back to being start to finish, you know, the number one or number two conference in college basketball in the country. I think you're, they're up there. Um, I think the Big 12 probably has been the best conference uh, top to bottom. And I think the ACC is going to be right there with them next year. Um, and, and, you know, after a couple of, you know, some somewhat down years, 
through the course, even through through this year until the tournament, uh, I think you're going to see the ACC come back in a really strong way going forward. So that that's my open mic there. So I'm going to use my open mic phone here for a couple of issues. I want to give a shout out to our friend Ben Bird, who just had an amazing podcast. Correct, and tell me if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Ben. I think it was George Perkis. He was a walk-on tight end football at Duke from 2008 to 2011. And, boy, he talked about a lot of these geeky things that I was really interested in, in economics, market trends, the the economic response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, why grid gas prices are high. And he's probably one of the more, I guess, Ben, you could tell me this. Is he one of the more beloved walk-ons in, in the history of uh, uh, of uh, Duke football? Well, he, he and Lee Rodeo are right up there, that's for sure. I think Lee Rodeo might be right around the top, along with my guy Ryan Wolitzer, who we had on as well. But George is a very, very bright guy, and he knows a whole lot about world economic trends. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, because that was one of the most interesting, and I love all the conversations that I've had with all the guys who come on. But that was one of the most, as you said, geeky, in-depth, educational and informative uh, interviews that I've done on that podcast. So I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It was definitely far afield from what we normally talk about on there. But it was a lot of fun, and I got a, I got a big kick out of it. I enjoyed it so much because I, I work in the area of national security and foreign affairs, and I just, I, I just, I enjoyed it, and I probably could have listened to him speak for two more hours. And I should probably ask you this when we get offline, but I want to, I want to. He said he wrote an article in the Atlantic, and I really need to see it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading that article too. It, it should be in the show notes. One of the I links. Will check it out. Thank you. <laughs> well, check it out. Okay, so the other thing I want to say, and, I, and I'll pose this to both you, both you, Ben, and, and, and Jeff, but shout out to Virginia Tech, who I actually think made Duke and UNC better as they went to the, to the NCAA tournament. Virginia Tech played probably the best series of basketball I've seen them play all year under Mike Young, and they played hard on every single possession now virginia tech did make an early exit in the in the in the ncaa tournament but they won the acc title this year and they both showed again they both showed unc and duke that they had to play hard on every single possession they i mean in my opinion they showed that duke had to have their nba players taking the shots you saw paulo Bonchero taking a lot more shots in the ncaa tournament than he did i thought during the year and showed UNC that they needed to have an outside shooter. So I, I, I'll, I'll go with you first, Ben. What, what did you think? What did you think? What, what did you think of my assessment there? Well, I think that was that that was correct. I, I, I do think part of what was going on with with Duke was. I think that the way that the final game at Cameron was handled, I think Kay was kind of candid about that being a mistake, and I think that caused some problems. Uh, and I think Tech kind of hit him right at the right time. And actually, after that, Duke's three-point defense got a lot better after that game because they've been terrible all season. 
uh, and that forced them to refocus. And I think that helped them. Um, Carolina has been really, really aggressive since then. They've been a lot more physical. I will say, though, that I'll be interested to see if Kansas tries to go small against them and hit them with depth because Carolina doesn't have a lot of depth. But I do think Virginia Tech's coach is a good coach. He had a lot of success at Wofford, and I think he knows situational basketball. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Leonard Hamilton and uh, and Larinaga, the way that they might not get the best recruits, the most talented recruits every year. But when it comes to game tacticians, he seemed to be really on top of his game. Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there were quite a few things that, that Duke and North Carolina took away from from the from the ACC tournament. I mean, I think even prior to that tournament, you know, Duke was coming off that win, you know, at Cameron. And I think a lot of people were saying, oh, they, they've they've arrived. You know, North Carolina is playing at a at a very high level and, you know, they're they're going to go through the ACC tournament, um, make it to the finals, and then they ran into the you know high energy bus of um, Virginia Tech. So I, I mean I think from there it, it kind of showed you know Duke I mean North Carolina wasn't quite there yet, and same with with Duke how how uh, Virginia Tech you know took them in the the ACC tournament final. So they I think they left the ACC tournament knowing that they had to, you know, match the energy that Virginia Tech brought and to to elevate their games um, in the NCAA tournament if they wanted to make extended runs. And and I think that's exactly what they did. Very good take. Very good take. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast with us. And we appreciate you spending your time with us so much and appreciate us as we appreciate your, your patience with us too, as we engage to this new platform on Podbean. we're still kind of ironing out some of the kinks and you've been very flexible with very flexible with some of the technical aspects of it. And we, again, we really appreciate you coming on the all sports discussion, ACC podcast. And we would love to have you come back on the show again sometime because there's honestly, now I can say this, there's nobody that knows more about Duke football than Ben Bird. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And let me give a shout out to my guys at the Section 17 podcast. Um, and they're, they're good dudes, too. So, uh, you know, but I'd, I'd always be glad to come back on whenever you guys want. This has been a lot of fun for me. And like I said, I'm going to be reaching out to you guys to do some doing a, doing a couple of things a little bit different with the uh, podcast. Going to have some game uh, so, excuse me, some season previews and some specific team previews. So I'll be reaching out to you guys to have you guys come on and talk about your Hokies and your Yellow Jackets. But I'm always glad to come back. Thank you so much. You, ha- you have a great week, guys. Take care, and we'd be glad to come on. All right. Y'all have a good one.